Are you looking to go into Republican politics? If so, Bannon Consulting can help you achieve your dream. At Bannon, we understand that politics is a cutthroat industry and DC hopefuls need to find ways to distinguish themselves from the pack. We know exactly how. Our program for aspiring GOP members of Congress entails just three simple steps and three payments of only $899,000 each. First, purchase a semi-automatic firearm from any patriotic gun dealer across the U.S. And don't you dare wear a mask when you enter that store. <laughs> Next, attend a useless libtard protest of any of the various hoaxes out there, like racist police killings or the, the fossil fuel pollution that will end human civilization. Finally, kill a protester, or maybe two or three. Now, the key here is to pal around with the cops before you commit murder. That way, after you've slaughtered a handful of libtard snowflakes, they'll just let you through, no questions asked. Achieve your dream of becoming a fascist federal lawmaker in no time with Bannon Consulting. Today on Gilded Age, we're speaking with Jason Wilson, a journalist based in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Jason has reported for many years on the extreme right, often for The Guardian. But among other things, he's been reporting on the many nights of protest and conflict in Portland. Uh, welcome to Gilded Age, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. How are you holding up? Oh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm personally, I'm okay. Um, uh, you know, uh, I... I said on Twitter, I guess, last night, and, and this made a bunch of right-wing people angry, but I just, you know, it, Trump said um, over the last couple of days in some interview that, you know, the whole city of Portland was ablaze all the time. And I just kind of said on Twitter, that's not actually true, you know. <laughs> it's just really a pretty confined thing. Um, you know, most nights it's a block or, uh, you know, a few blocks downtown that are really affected by this. and. Um, you know, if you're away from that um, and, and you're not actually down there on the ground reporting, it's it's kind of like, um, uh, you know, it's 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 kind of strange in that sense. It's it's not like it's actually affecting the whole city. Um, so I'm I'm fine um, in, in that sense, and you know, I don't have COVID either, so that's good. But um, yeah, that, this whole situation in the city is. Um, now, a topic of national discussion and thing I feel like in the last week or so, in, both in the city and in the country as a whole, are, yeah, taking a, a direction that, that doesn't seem great to me. Um, what effect do you think Trump weighing in on what's going on in Portland is having? Um, I, I think a, a number of effects. Um, you know, I think that inevitably... Um, uh, it's 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 making a a kind of a polarized and uh, tense and um, uh, you know um, volatile situation you know uh, more polarized tense and volatile um, you know he's giving explicit support to uh, you know um, the use of force by police um, he's giving explicit support to kind of right-wing vigilantes who might be looking to uh, intervene in that situation as they have been over the last couple of weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, he's also undermining uh, 
um, to a great extent, whatever capacity the city uh, and even the state might have had to sort of act as some kind of, um, you know, a, a broker or to enter into kind of negotiations with people or, um, you know, to at least uh, have some kind of capacity for dialogue there. Um, he's, he's kind of made it, made this situation, in, in everything he's done, he's made this situation look much farther away from, um, you know, being resolved in, in a kind of productive or progressive kind of way. Um, so other than that, how, how would you rate his response? <laughs> I think, <laughs> um, look, here's the thing about the president. He has clearly decided that um, the worse things are in Portland, the better it is for him. Um, you know, he's, I think, trying to exacerbate uh, the tensions here because seems to be wanting to run against you know antifa so um and and so you know um the more uh kind of mayhem or whatever that fox news can point to the more energized his base gets and the more the, the better it is for him so that's that's a kind of dangerous thing for a city to be when um you know it becomes a kind of pawn or a presidential race where um you know, one of the candidates is um, seems to be, um, yeah, viewing stuff that goes wrong as 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 good for his campaign. I mean, and it's not just his; it's not just like his his commentary or his his, his rhetoric. I mean, he also sent in, uh, you know, unmarked officers who were rounding a couple of weeks ago were rounding up pro protesters without cause and putting them into unmarked vans. So, I mean, that that do you think that was a deliberate instigation in Portland specifically because it's already kind of seen as like a hub of these kind of kind of anti-fascist versus kind of right-wing nationalist protests kind of well, events? I guess all of us have unwillingly kind of become Trump watchers or Trump second guesses over the last. No, um, several years. Um, I mean, I, um, to me, you know, yeah, like at, at one level, I don't know if there was a plan exactly, um, except to look tough and to look like he was taking control of the situation um, and to sort of, again, undermine this Democratic mayor who's uh, Ted Wheeler, who's become a bit of a you know, a whipping boy for conservatives nationally. Um, whatever legitimate criticisms might be made of his approach to this whole issue over the last, over his entire term of four years. So Ted Wheeler is is the police commissioner as well as the mayor, right? Yeah, he is like technically the police commissioner. Um, so it's a it's a it's a slightly odd form of government. Um, it's a commission. System. So, and the commissioners aren't elected from an area of the city. They don't represent a geographical area. They get elected to portfolios. And the mayor is kind of weak in a sense. He's just one vote on council. Um, he doesn't necessarily have kind of executive authority. But one of the things that goes along with being mayor is that you're police commissioner. Um, you know, I, but that's in practical terms is not particularly meaningful. Um, uh, in practical terms, in fact, it's not clear who's actually in charge. I mean, you know, uh, the chief of police who's, who's a sworn officer will make certain undertakings and guarantees from time to time about the use of force or, or this or that. And then it just seems like 
the officers on the line or their field commanders are just making their own decisions. Um, but yeah, I mean, like ultimately he is responsible and certainly me and other reporters have put questions to him um, on that basis about his responsibility as police commissioner. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, the whole, the whole kind of situation with contentious street protests and with far-right groups coming into Portland um, to, to stage these kind of confrontations with, uh, with anti-fascists and other, other left-wing groups um, you know, has kind of been festering throughout the uh, life of the Trump administration uh, because a lot of these groups are explicitly pro-Trump. That's what they're all about. That's what Patriot Prayer was about. That's what kind of the Proud Boys are pretty much about. That's what these most recent protests have been about. It's all kind of pro-Trump stuff, um, and and you know, um, you know, these people identify as Republicans. They, they, these are grassroots Republicans, you know, pushing this stuff. So, yeah, I mean, but whatever criticisms might be made about the way that that's been managed, and and um, you know the reporting that I and, and lots of other great local reporters have done over years raises those kinds of questions about how the city dealt with it. Um, you know, the, the national Republicans are absolutely exploiting this and scapegoating Wheeler uh, and really trying to tie, trying to tie the radical left to the Democrats for electoral purposes. Um, and, and so that's right. another why, you know, Stuff that can be depicted as mayhem and chaos on on Fox News, which then can then be blamed on the mayor. You know, this is like this is the way that Trump wants to run things. But just getting back to the federal officers coming downtown, I mean, I think you know, again, he wanted to look tough. He wanted to look like he was in control. Um, you know, he wanted to look like he was enforcing law and order, um, and that didn't it didn't kind of work so well. Um, but I, I think if you look at Trump over a number of years on a number of issues, um, um, you know, the method really is chaos. I think. Um, uh, he, he, I think, convinced that um, you know, chaos is something that he can, um, you know, uh, and and sort of. Stability and rapprochement and negotiation and resolution are not things um, particularly well placed to, to be. So, yeah, I, mean, I think it looks like sometimes he's just kind of making it up as he goes along, and, and he probably is. But I feel like the overarching strategy over time is just like, well, let's throw the dice. And at worst, there'll be a mess that I can blame on someone else. And I think that's what's happening. So let's, um, let's set the scene a little bit. Um, uh, first of all, um, before asking you about the latest of Portland, let's talk about Kenosha, Wisconsin a little bit. That, that's where, uh, a lot of the sort of national press has been, uh, focused lately because last week, a 17 year old white vigilante armed with an AR 15 that he obtained illegally in Illinois crossed over the border to Wisconsin, went to Kenosha because he knew about the protests, which are because of a, a police um, shooting a, a black man seven times in the back in front of his children. Um, he's now paralyzed from the waist down, according to his family. Um, so these are protests against against that kind of uh, racial um, brutality from the police. Um, this, this, this guy named Rittenhouse comes across. Uh, he sees an event on Facebook 
that is calling, or at least a group on Facebook that's calling for people to, you know, armed kind of militia types to come through. Um, he goes there. Um, he ends up uh, shooting one person in the head, killing that person. Uh, then I guess he's kind of followed by a couple, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's followed by a couple protesters uh, who didn't want him to get away because he had just murdered someone in front of them. He falls to the ground. Um, and then he shoots a guy who is, I think, trying to hit him with a skateboard. And then he, uh, he kills that person. And then he also shoots a third person in the arm, um, who is not dead. Um, but, you know, uh, in the, in, in the midst of all this, he had palled around with the cops, the Kenosha police, who had given him bottles of water. They had, they said, thank you for being here. Um, and then after he killed, did all the killings, he went, he, he walked towards the police with his hands up. And they just let him go. They just drove by. They didn't. They didn't even stop him. Um, so I guess is that kind of accurate? And and um, is this sort of collaboration between the police and and kind of random white vigilante something that uh, surprises you? Well, I, I would say, you know, I, I think that what you, the kind of sequence of events you described is um, consistent with what we know so far. I think that. Um, now, my experience reporting on this stuff and what happened on Portland on the weekend, you know, these situations are, are kind of messy um, and it's difficult to sort out a precise sequence of events, especially when guns are drawn. But um, I, think, I think the best the best and most rigorous kind of outline of what went down, I think probably um, was the one I read in The Times, their visual investigation unit went oh, through. Right. And... You know that 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 was pretty good, and you know it's a messy situation. But yeah, but like the the context, you know, for those events, what's important, as you say, is a teenage guy who, you know, is not legally meant to be in possession of, of the kind of firearm that he had. Um, um, being part of, um, a, a, you know. Uh, acting as part of a bunch of guys who deputize themselves as as a, as a kind of militia, so acting as a vigilante, with um, uh, at the very least the, the kind of um, um, you know the tolerance, um, the acceptance, maybe the gratitude of the cops, if not the outright support of the cops, um, you know, winds up um, you know uh, killing a couple of people. Um, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a uh, whatever, let's just say a gunfight, you know, for, for, for shorthand, right? You know, there were guns on both sides and um, shots on both sides. There's a pretty good case for him um, being the, the aggressor, but let's not get bogged down in that for now. Context, like, why are we seeing, um, you know, uh, conservatives? Uh, people who don't see themselves as extremists, don't see themselves as white nationalists, don't even see themselves as a militia necessarily. You know, um, they see themselves as patriots. That's the word these folks always use. Showing up, you know, to what defenders, defend a store or something. I mean, what so <laughs> like, and 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 kind of. That's a suggestion that I think law and order has just broken down entirely. That, that, I don't know, the cops can't take care of that um, for a start. 
But is that is that really sorry to interrupt? But is that is that really what they think? I mean, are they really going there because they don't think that the Kenosha police can handle it? They think that they like some some teenager with with a assault rifle will be able to go there and protect businesses that are already boarded up. I mean, I saw pictures of him in front of a already boarded up uh, you know business. Well, I hear what you're saying. I guess I guess then maybe I could put it this way: they think that America, you know, is collapsing. Basically, they think. The country's falling apart because you know, radicals have taken over the streets of, of, of big cities and you know are burning, looting, doing whatever they want. Um, uh, so it's a, it's a bigger narrative, I suppose. The cops not being able to handle, um, and and you know um, they've been told that America's on the brink of civil war. They can tell it in the media for years. I mean, this kid would have grown up with those messages, you know. Um, and then after 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 the fact, you've got conservative media immediately not prosecuting the case because he was acting in self-defense. You've got GoFundMe's screening. You've got influential conservatives helping to raise money for this guy's legal defense. And now it turns out his lawyer is going to be running the defense, a, se- a Second Amendment defense, that he was, was acting as part of a re- well-regulated militia. I mean, that's... Um, you know, I'm, I mean, we've known for a number of years that the kind of talk that gets around in conservative media, even ostensibly, you know, whatever, mainstream conservative media, um, the kind of stuff that gets treated as mainstream, um, is increasingly, you know, violent. Um, there's, there's a reporter who's been on this beat for a while called um, Dave Nywert, who wrote a book in 2009, I think it was, called The Elimination, making the case that... Um, you know, conservative media was increasingly talking about whatever liberals, you know, people, political opponents as a as a um, a pernicious force in American life that had to be destroyed. You know, like physically destroyed. So, yeah, I mean, this kid's been marinating in that stuff, um, and um, you know, it sounds like whatever his biographical details sound like. I don't know, he's had a troubled adolescence and has struggled to fit in, whatever, you know, like that's a pretty common adolescent experience. It doesn't usually, or in times past, it may not have ended up with some kid, you know, patrolling the streets with a semi-automatic long gun um, and and killing a couple of people. And look, whatever happens, he's, he's, um, he's, he's killed two people and I don't imagine his life is going to be great from here on out either. Do you think that the right-wing propaganda that's, as you mentioned, is he probably grew up with because it's, it's not like this just occurred yesterday. I mean, Tucker Carlson's been on the air for a few years. Um, Fox News has of course been a force for a long time. And of course there's much even farther right publications online. Do you think that likely could have radicalized him and kind of led to this situation? Well, let's not speculate too much about, you know what it was in particular. Sorry. Well, but this is part of the whole conversation, like that we're going to get into about, about fascism in the media. But yeah, I, I right. probably hesitate to speculate as well. But I will say this: that um, conservative media, um, you know, is right now portraying everyone uh, from Joe Biden you know, and all points left of him, just conflating everyone of them and saying, you know. Biden's a communist, um, 
anti-fire Democrats, you know, and even maybe under the control of the Democratic Party, and or vice versa, right? <laughs> to to sow to sow discord, right? To sh to to make it difficult for Trump. That I think that's what it all comes down to, right? Yeah, it's it, they are defining everyone from Joe Biden left as an existential threat to the country, right? If you take that seriously, you know, if you listen to that for years on end and take it seriously. Um, that, that, that literally the Democrats and the, these protesters in the street are trying to destroy the country. Um, and, you know, um, you're also marinating in this kind of nationalism. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not illogical to head out into the street with a gun and, and to defend the country. You know, and conservative media throughout this, this period of protest has been saying that... Um, Mayors have lost control. You know, all of these people are running wild in the street. They're destroying stuff. You know, um, this the, the whole situation is out of control. Um, you know, so in other words, the, the destruction of the country is imminent. So, I mean, yeah, if you take that seriously, you know, um, what would you do? <laughs> so I don't know what this kid, you know, his specifically, what, what, what his media diet was like and, and what it might have done to his psychology specifically. But like, you know, it's not a big leap from what they say to that, that kind of taking that kind of action. Right? So, so how do you then, how do you neuter this? I guess, you know, how do you, how do you defang conservative media? Because you can't, you can't crack down on, on, uh, sp on speech that's, you know, not incitement and not at, at risk of uh, immediate uh, harmful action so how do you how do you defang it i don't know um it's a very difficult question i i mean i agree i, I don't think um uh, you know discussions about like the, I don't know, what what would you do ban fox news i i mean i don't think so um um i i think that there is there is stuff that could happen perhaps um with social media um, you know, that might be helpful. Um, so, you know, um, I think, uh, say what you like about Fox News, but they're, they're still kind of covered by a kind of minimal set of regulations that, that induce a certain amount of legal caution about what they broadcast. And, and similarly with, um, you know, print publications, there is a kind of level of liability that they're subject to that, um, uh, you, you know, means that there are at least some consequences. I mean, Facebook really isn't in sub subject to any consequences at all for anything that might appear on its platform, and they're entirely self-policing. I mean, some kind of regulation or some kind of liability for incitement that might appear on that platform might, might, might be helpful, but... I don't know. That sounds like tinkering around the edges, too, right? So, well, well, well let me let me ask you. What do you make of? Because um, we've had this discussion many times, Alex. But what do you make of uh, arguments that a lot of a lot of this this sort of uh, brinksmanship that we're seeing today we would be dialed back if we had a more equitable economy and people weren't so stretched weren't stretched so thin. I look. I think. I think that's. I think. There's a sense in which that's kind of um, clearly and obviously true. Uh, particularly, you know, you see this. I mean, 
you know, this kid for for most people, in terms of his ideology anyway, would probably not be um, defined as an extremist. I mean, look, I'm I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna argue about that, but but like. I think probably ideologically, he's probably just a, a grassroots Republican. Uh, that's that's every indication so far. Um, but you know, especially amongst neo Nazis and um, you, you know accelerationists and stuff, um, you know the, the more extreme points of view. Um, what, what you see at the core of those beliefs is a kind of hopelessness and a kind of. Um, um, you see a bunch of people who see no reason to invest uh, themselves in the society around them or the social relationships or, you know, a, a project like raising a family or having a career because it's just it's just not accessible for a lot of people. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that um, if people felt like they had more of a stake in the society that they were living in and... Uh, that they were going to um, uh, materially be looked after and they were going to have uh, a, enough provided to them in their lives so that they would, um, uh, you know, be able to do, you know, some kind of positive things with their lives. Obviously, the United States is a tremendously unequal society and, um, you know, and, and that just makes people not want to... It just makes people feel like, especially younger people like they don't have a kind of a stake and also susceptible to propaganda right i mean that's what we see throughout history is you know when there's an economic collapse uh it's very easy for a demagogue or fascist uh fascist party or a wannabe fascist party to sort of infiltrate their minds and, and convince them that there is an, a distinctive enemy that needs to be rooted out and that's kind of what i want to get to now is is talking about the origins of all this stuff how um, we have a, a, a right-wing media uh, ecosphere that is uh, essentially, pr you know, promoting this, this very kind of classic fascist um, conspiracy theory that there is this distinctive enemy. Uh, and if you're not with the leader, which is Trump, then you are the enemy. Anyone, it's kind of what you're saying, Jason, like Joe Biden is looped into that. I mean, he's a centrist Democrat who like wants to cut Social Security. This guy is not uh, a radical. Let's, let's call him a centrist uh, classic republican okay okay fine wait, wait, wait. no i mean yeah biden is like a 1980s republican but it doesn't matter look look he, he's a democratic nominee that's what that's what the liberals wanted apparently so that's what we've got but the point is like uh you know anyone who doesn't support donald trump and pledge allegiance to him is the enemy and that is a classic fascist kind of strategy that that you, jason in your in your website you link to um an interview that michael hayden of the southern poverty law center did with um an author and academic named i believe jason stanley who wrote a book in 2018 um about how fascism begins and um the interview is is really uh i mean it's like the word shocking is, is, is a weird word to use because it's not shocking, but it's still horrifying. Like I know I've known this is what's been happening for like four or five years now, but like it's really coming to a head. And, um, to see an academic, a Yale professor who wrote a book on, on fascism say like basically what's happening right now, the coordination of the Republican party, the, um, sort of elevation and support for these, these kind of militias and right wing white vigilantes, um, the propaganda that is going on about about, um, you know, Antifa, what it, so the enemy, what, okay, what, like when Trump came into office, the enemy that he kind of declared w was really ruining America were, were immigrants, especially Mexicans coming over the border and, and Muslims. 
Um, you know, we saw the Muslim bans and things like that. And now it's morphed into uh, this kind of nebulous enemy, which is a, a sort of amalgamation of people who they they think are anti-fascist and they are antifa it's also black lives matter people are protesting against police killings of of black people and people of color um and and now it's the whole democratic party um but they are the enemy and um you know people like Laura Ingraham and Tucker Carlson and Fox News you know and and I don't know what kind of liability issues they have with the opinion people if it's different but I mean they are spreading vicious vicious fascist propaganda in my opinion and uh, I don't want to say Fox News. I don't want to be mistaken for saying that Fox News is like restrained or anything. And they're actually really bad. I, I was I was just trying to scramble for some kind of answer to how to. But yeah, I mean, well, it's not Fortune. I mean, they yeah, they're an organized institution. They're not they're not Fortune, and they're and they're not even Breitbart. But but they basically traffic in a lot of the same stuff now. Yeah. Look, I I yeah. I mean, this movement. What you've seen. The president and the people around him do is, um, you know, almost use it as a screen, which they they then project all of the the enemies of the Republican Party, and and let's face it, you know, all of the historic kind of fears of of white Christian America. I, I and I mean, look, I, I think that American inequality is. An enormously important part of this conversation, but I also think that um, the and and you know fascists fascists talk about that um, you know about uh, but they'll they'll talk about it in terms of uh, you know conspiracies amongst financiers and all, all that kind of stuff you know basically whatever is what they're is what they're blaming um scapegoating um but um you know they all they also talk about demographics and um you know like um there is um this enormous anxiety amongst a lot of white americans about becoming a demographic um and electoral um minority and and somehow that's going to change the country and it's not going to be their country anymore and and trump's tapped into that from the beginning um and i think that um uh, you know he's found ways to code to code this protest as um you know threatening because of the fact that it's it's involving african-americans and it is uh, centered on the specific experiences of African Americans with law enforcement in particular. And so it, it's kind of like this grab bag that he can he can kind of return to and, you know, pull out Antifa or pull out, you know, thugs or whatever, you know, whatever euphemism he wants to use for for um, uh, the, the, the sort of um, the feared racial other, um, you know, that he, he likes to tap into. So, yeah, I... I I think I think that that um, is absolutely what's happening, especially recently. They struggled um, when the protests were really large and clearly were sweeping the country, and you know we're clearly not just a kind of a, a marginal concern. Um, but in the last week or two, um, I fear that they've gotten 
more of a handle on the message that they're going to, um, um, you know, that they're going to be crafting around these protests. And look, I, I would say also that um, uh, that you know um, I, I'm presuming that um, well, here's the thing. I don't know if you guys agree with this, but in general terms, uh, I don't think that anyone has failed to make up their mind about Donald Trump at this point, or very few people have. Um, and so, Mostly, it's going to be about mobilizing the, the, the respective bases, I think. and then That's what I agree with. I agree with that, yeah, too. Yeah, we agree. But Alex and I, I think, are slowly coming to, um, I guess, agreement. I have, I have long thought that Joe Biden, I, I, I think we all, we, we started in a point of agreement that Joe Biden was the weakest candidate to put up against Donald Trump. Um, Based on just who he, who he is, who he has been through his entire career, and the baggage that he's trailing. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put Klobuchar over Biden, but yes, yeah, so generally speaking, he was one of the worst uh, candidates. I, I apologize. I should have, I should have included Amy, my 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 girl Amy. <laughs> um, but yeah, Biden was one of the weaker candidates to put up against Donald Trump, and now that he is up against Trump, it, the polls looked really great for a while. Like. Like it doesn't matter, and uh, but I was I was always suspicious of his ability to carry it across the finish line. I think, I think uh, I've become more suspicious suspicious as time has gone on. I think Alex has, has sort of met me there. Yeah, um, well, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't know who the ideal candidate would have been. I, I mean, I think, but. Here's the thing. Clearly with Biden, what they were trying to do was, um, or, or, or what the plan was, was to sort of like make him, you know, he, he's, he's almost kind of like a generic Democrat, right? This was the plan. We've got this kind of generic Democrat who's got some warm, fuzzy vibes from having been Obama's vice president. He'll bring the base out. And anyway, the whole, re the whole election is going to be a referendum on Trump. We're, we're going to just stay out of the way and we're going to make it all about. Yeah. I mean, that's there, but that they already did that four years ago. So like, but, but what you were saying, I think is very, very accurate is that it is about bringing out your base. And my argument is like, they're not, the Democrats are not trying to bring out the base. They're trying to bring out the Republicans who are, are iffy about who to vote for. And there's, as you say, there aren't a lot of people left who are really even having that discussion with themselves and you know what what biden should be doing if he wants to win is is bring out the democratic progressive base instead uh, he's wasting his time it's worth noting that they're doing that i think specifically because they have an insurrection in their own party and so they've sort of been reaching across to the to the disaffected neocons to sort of bring them in as a way to shore up their own uh i guess wavering uh control of a, of a party that is quickly i think spinning out of their out of it yeah well i i i think part of the making it a referendum on trump was idea was as you say like oh we're going to slice off you know these disaffected um republicans if, if you want to call it that or or you know suburban people who may have once voted republican or may define themselves as independent and just they just can't stand trump 
I, I think the problem with that might wind up being that, um, that, that you know, those people actually see this whole thing as a set of trade-offs. Um, and, um, you know, like, it may be that enough of them are, whatever they think of Trump, are attracted to a kind of authoritarian response to whatever's going on that actually drag them across the line. I'm not sure. It, it just seems like, as of the last couple of weeks, you know, the polls are starting to look a little shakier. Um, you know, there's not been a terribly clear kind of message about, about um, especially this, these sorts of um, extremely violent um, incidents um, where people have been shot dead. Um, so I, I don't know, I, but, but yeah, I think that, um, as, like I said earlier, I think that as far as Trump's concerned, you know, like the more of this that happens, the better, because um, whatever he actually does, he could just keep saying law and order, law and order. I mean, fear is effective. Fear is very effective. And that's, that's the danger. I mean, like, like I said, like Biden is trying to appeal to, to sort of like center right Republicans, whereas Trump is whipping up his base into a frenzy and trying to scare suburban moms into voting for him by labeling Biden as Antifa. And it's, it's, you're, as you said, the polls are starting to swing towards Trump. Nate Silver said yesterday he thought it was more of a convention bump. It's too early to say. I kind of think it's a little bit of both, but you know, regardless of that, Biden had no convention bump. And the fact that if, you know, if Trump actually had a convention bump after a convention that, that literally, like I've seen polls, like, most people think the Trump, the Republican convention sucked and the Democratic convention was like, oh, not bad. Like, like, so the convention's polling is not in line with this bump. And it's like, it just makes me think that this fear mongering is working. It's working very quickly. And we have two more months and that's terrifying to me. Yeah. I mean, um, Trump is, of course, extremely incompetent and there's a pandemic happening and the economy you know, likely to deteriorate further. Who knows? I mean, but like, yeah, the Democrats are playing this game of appealing to the center, is how they put it, probably. Um, but mostly Trump's trying to just activate his base. Um, and, 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 and yeah, it might, it might work. It's just kind of like, I, I do worry about, um, um, you know, I, 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 I just worry about how, how this dynamic might feed on itself, given his electoral strategy and given the needs of that strategy and given his power to, um, at least sow chaos, uh, which he, which he considers beneficial to him and which may be beneficial to him. I worry about that in Portland. I worry about, you know. Um, what's what's the city of Portland going to do if if he decides to um, you know send guys in again anyway, even even though they've agreed not to, even though you know, the court has put some limits on what federal agents can do? What's you know um, you know if he was to decide to exacerbate the problems here, he, he could easily do so. And I, it's, it's he's incentivized to do that. Um, last question for you: If Trump does win. 
um, God forbid, even though I don't believe in God, but God forbid, I will say that. <laughs> um, do you think that there is some kind of like increase, some sort of, I mean, basically we're seeing fascist tactics now from a lot of the right and especially the far right and the president. Um, do you think that fascism could actually really kind of start to take hold like real in our daily lives, like in the next four years? Um, sure. I mean, um, I, I, I kind of think that um, fascism taking hold is not necessarily something I would put in some future. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you, you read the best accounts and analyses of, of what happened um, in the middle of the century and uh, last century. And there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of analogies to what's going on now. And, you know, um, people keep hunting for this sort of um, ideological correspondence between, between, um, between Trump and, and the interwar fascists. And, and there is some, but, you know, maybe there's not enough. And it's this angels on a head of a pin thing. I mean, you know, fascism is action and violence and irrationalism and um, a cult of personality and, um, you know, a, a friend-enemy distinction at the heart of politics and, um, you know, uh, a kind of... The governing ideology is, is, is really just a kind of series of conspiracy theories and think about it that way. And, and actually, you know, Hitler and Mussolini, um, when push came to shove and when the needs of power... Um, uh, you know, became pressing, you know, they would ditch ideological baggage if they needed to and, you know, reorient themselves. Um, they were not purists. Um, yeah, I, I think it's kind of, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's put, it's put is in the door. Um, it so creeps in, right? It, it happened. What I always read is people are like, they wake up and it's fascism. And they realize that it had been, it had been creeping in for years and they didn't do anything about it or didn't really recognize it. Well, that's what that's what scares me because you look at the the powers of the presidency and how they've grown consistently over the last forty years. I mean, we had an American American citizens droned without due process of law during the last administration, and nobody batted a fucking eye. And now, you know, th that power rests in the hands of. Uh, no, unstable an, yeah insane person but but also we've seen how I mean, our institutions are a joke i mean like if you have a president who doesn't care about norms and he'll just do whatever the fuck he wants if his it party happens is in power well, right it, it just well it happens and there's no one can really do anything about it i mean i'm not i'm not sure pelosi and schumer have done the best job of of trying to enforce the norms uh and hold accountable she there's only so speech, i know she tore what the speech up that was epic epic slake what more stuff. do you want her to do Right. Well, a lot more, frankly. And, you know, it, they, but I'm saying like there are limits when one a fa a kind of proto-fascist party controls one chamber of Congress and the entire executive branch is politicizing every agency, including the Postal Service. Um, but, you know, that we can keep talking about this forever. So, um, Jason, I want to thank you a lot for coming on and also for your day in, day out reporting on this really important, really tough topic. Um, where can people find you online? Uh, well, uh, I've got a dumb Twitter handle. It's Jason underscore A underscore W. Um, we'll put that in the, we'll put everything in the show notes. 
still all in the show notes. I'm on Twitter. I got my website. Uh, there's not much on there, but um, I think over at the Guardian is where most of my stuff is. Um, so Jason Wilson, the Guardian, really works on Google. All right. Well, well, yeah, we'll definitely um, have our listeners check out your links in the show notes. And um, yeah, thanks again, man. Keep in touch. Stay safe out there and fight the fascists. Thanks for having me on and um, take care, guys. Thanks for coming on. All right. Bye, man. Audio editing by Alex Koch. Original theme music by Direwolf. Published by Opt Out News.